Jono, Tommy, I'm going to give you a phrase, okay? And I want you to give me an example sentence that includes that phrase and puts it in context for what it means, okay? Jono, we're going to start with you. Time is on my side. Well, at least time is on my side, if nothing else. (laughs) Yeah, fine, great. Let's keep I'm it loose. I'm so glad John went first. I had no idea what you were talking about. Yeah, okay, I thought I I'd start I'm with that. Going, yeah. Right, Tommy, your turn. <laughs> okay. Turn back the hands of time. Turn back the hands of time and imagine you are a teenager again. Brilliant. Jono, back to you. A whale of a time. Ah, uh, when we got the inflatables out, just had a whale of a time. Was there an inflatable whale amongst oh. those? Who knows? Who knows? Lovely. Thank you, Johnny. Tommy, only time will tell. Oh, he's lost eight tasks. Can he go any further? Only time will tell. That's great. A little reference back to The Apprentice. And finally, it's one for me. And the phrase is time well spent. Got it. Investing in something of quality that will endure a lifetime can be time well spent. And so let me tell you about Marlowe Watch Company, creators of British-designed mechanical watches and sponsors of this podcast. With Marlowe, each collection of watches is influenced by a historical story of inspiring human endeavour. And not only are they pleasing to the eye, they're reassuring to hold and to wear. Visit marlowwatchcompany.com to see for yourself. And if you're looking for reassurance elsewhere, you'll find the words quality and value come up time and again in independent online reviews. Marlowe Watch Company. Time well spent. You read this advice, you can never overdress for an interview. And turns out you can. I, I turned up in a, in a suit, you know, I was never normally wear. And so I felt really out of place. And the t- guy turns up super casual, he's in shorts and t-shirt. I just felt like I j- judged it all wrong. Was that like for he- the lifeguard job at the local pool? <laughs> yes. But it's funny, I mean, you know, I was there, I was. This is what you're supposed to do in an interview. You are often talked about within context of The Apprentice, Tommy, as being the nice guy and being the exception to the rule that nice guys don't win. Yes, but if I was, if I'd been on the Bake Off, where everyone's really nice, I probably would have been the nasty guy. Turning someone's half and off. <laughs> you could pass the buck or grasp the nettle. What's your go-to mode when it comes to accountability? Hello, this is Sketchplanations, the podcast. Whether you're in the car, on public transport, out for a walk or a run, at work, or maybe just sitting at home in your pants and socks with a lovely cup of tea and a chocolate hobnob, you are, as always, most welcome. As you probably know by now, we choose a different topic from the Sketchplanations.com back catalogue each week and explore how it relates to us in our lives. We also really love hearing from you, so please do keep sending your stories and your experiences with the different topics each week. I'm Rob Bell, and with me for the next half hour or so is the Lionel Messi of Polymathy. Polymathy? Polymathy? I think you've made that word up. I never... (laughs) (laughs) I did look it up. Polymathy? Yeah, polythemy. Polymathy. Polymathy. I'm Rob Bell, and with me for the next half hour or so is the Lionel Messi of Polymathy, John O'Hay, and the Elon Musk of cosmetic gadgetry, Tom wow. Pellero. Thank you very much. Wow, that's an entry. How you doing, boys? All right? Yes, thank you. I thought thank you were going to say about John O' the uh, polygamy. <laughs> 
The Lionel Messi of polygamy. polygamy. That's a different podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Polymathy. Polymath. Polythene. You know, someone who's just got all the talents, all the skills. He certainly does. That's way too kind. Bizarrely, chaps, for some reason, I was thinking about A-level choices this week. Um, And I thought, well, actually, here's an opportunity for our listeners to get to know us a little bit better. Um, For anyone listening outside the UK, A-levels are the qualifications um, that you generally take uh, towards the end of your secondary education when you're 17, 18 kind of thing. And generally what university applications uh, are based on. Um, But this line of thought came to me initially because I was thinking about your sketches, Jono, and the foundation of artistic skill required to create them. And I, I think I'm right in saying that you did art at A-level, did you? I did. Phew. John yeah. did a lot of A-levels, though. What else so. did you do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. I, actually, there's quite a lot of of my history put into the sketch donation. So I did maths, further maths, physics, chemistry, and art. And actually, it's funny. I always say them in that order. <laughs> I always say them in that order. Um <laughs> Because, you know, art was probably the one I was worst at, honestly. Um, but it was the one I liked the most. It was the only one that I wanted to go spend my lunch times gonna mm. do gonna do some art. But I was good at the other stuff. Um so, you know, Sketch Nations is a bit like that. Like, you know, there are so many great illustrators in the world that are not me. And um it, it's really a combination of everything else I know with a little bit of art. A bit like the A levels. What what were your A levels, Tommy? Um, mine are pretty quick: maths, physics, and design. So yeah, just the, the same, probably the same as you. You did maths, physics. I did maths, physics, French, and something called graphical communication, Ooh. which is basically mm. what Sketchplanations is, yeah. in a way. Nice. Which I loved. That was my favourite. Mm. That was that was the one I wanted to spend my time on. That was the one I do all nighters on. That was the yeah. one I, I I absolutely loved. You know, you could just lose yourself in in what it was you were doing. Well, in, in, in many ways, that's that's why I did product design at universities because it's this nice blend, right? Of, of yeah. You get to visualise your ideas, but the ideas have to actually work. Yeah. And that's the, that's the, all the other bit. Which, so it's hilarious. We also, so I did design and I spent all my, 90% of my time I was doing design and I carried my portfolio around the whole time and I was designing mm-hmm. stuff. So the three of us did math physics, which we were okay. Well, mm-hmm. Jono was like borderline genius at, but we didn't spend by the sounds of it any time actually doing <laughs> that. And we all spent time doing these other, these other ones that we loved hugely. And, and it's very easy in, well, late, later on in one's professional life to dismiss the importance of your A-level results if indeed A-levels were your chosen path. And I think that's probably fair to a degree. But whilst the specific content that I had to learn is now mostly long forgotten, I, I definitely feel like the A-level decisions I made have helped create the foundations for the way I think and, and the way I go about learning and, and problem solving. Not yeah. bad for something in your teens. Absolutely. It's all right, isn't it? It's <sighs> all right. Because it is so easy. People go, oh, wait, your A-levels don't matter later in life. But I think there's a, as I said, there's creation of a foundation there that, that you do. Um, and if you've got good teachers, then all the better. Gosh, that was a long time ago, wasn't it? <laughs> Why are you thinking about intervals? I don't know. I just did. I was thinking about drawing and sketching. And then I was thinking about art generally. And then I started thinking, well, Jono's probably did art at A-level because yeah. he's blooming good at it. And part of that is, is shown through these sketches. That was my thinking through that, Tommy. Am and I? this is going to go out like so in eight weeks people will be getting their a level results will they how, how many weeks behind are we here 
you know what? That would have been a much better answer for me to have given. Well, Tommy, yeah. I've thought about I this. Like, and, I really um... thought that I thought you'd thought this through, right? <laughs> Eight weeks is July, middle of July. A levels come out beginning of August. Yeah, so not far off. So good luck, guys. <laughs> and just remember that whilst your results well, that don't necessarily matter that much, although they will do at the time, and they did for me at the time, um, you'll have created solid foundations for the way you think and the way you go about problem solving and learning for the future <sighs> alright enough of that let's crack on to the Podmobile our discussion this week centres on Jono's sketch that explores the metaphor of life as theatre covering the difference between front stage and backstage behaviour now, you should already be able to see this sketch as the artwork for the episode on whatever podcast player you're using. And you can follow the links in the podcast description to see it in more detail at sketchplanations.com or you can find it on Instagram and Twitter too. Now, John, once again, um, I feel like there is loads to cover on this topic and with this sketch. And I know that we'll all probably be thinking up more examples for this for days to come. Um, but when, when I spend a bit of time with one of your sketches like this, I get really excited because I, I can see so clearly how this applies to life in such a wide general way, almost every facet. Um, and so as such, there's loads that we could cover. But um, I'll chill out a bit for now and I'll, I'll, I'll just ask you to tell us how you came across this metaphor and, and what it means to you. Yeah, so I, I came across uh, this idea of front stage and backstage when I was doing a qualitative research course at uh, UC Berkeley with a, a great professor called um, Peter Lyman. Uh, and it's one of those times, actually, when I was doing my PhD, I remember basically feeling like my job was to be a professional reader. That's what you did. You read and then you figured out some interesting bit and then you read about that and you carried on reading the uh -huh. whole time. Um, and I remember one assignment in this was around uh, a book by Irving Goffman called Presentation of Self in Everyday Life. And Irving Goffman was uh, a famous sociologist back in the middle mid 20th century. And I remember at the end of the previous class, somebody asked, how many chapters are we supposed to read? And he was like, oh, you should read the book. I was like, oh, OK. So I, so I spent like three three full afternoons in a cafe over the next week just sitting there reading the whole book from you know start to finish um, and a lot of his early work was around this idea of of front stage backstage and essentially our social life as a performance mm. so to explain the the sketch a little bit it's really about front stage is how we behave when people are watching and so the example here is you're at a fancy French restaurant and the the waiters, you know, saying, would Madame care to taste the wine? And and the lady is going, yep. Oh, and then she catches herself and says, oh, I mean, well, certainly, thank you. And of course, she never tastes the wine back at home, right? Um, and then afterwards, they're, the same couple are leaving the restaurant and they're like, oh, that was a bit posh. You know, <laughs> This is how they behave when they're not, when people are not watching them. And you can see the same waiter, he's out the back, the staff only door, and there's the dustbins and he's smoking a cigarette completely different to what he was doing on the front on the front stage behavior so that's uh that's that's where i learned about it and as i think as soon as you see this um and you get this idea and, and this was one of one of government's central ideas was all about impression management and we're we're always in all these arenas of our lives managing how we think 
others others are seeing us and and behaving to that and so that's what the idea of front stage backstage it's stuck with me forever since and um and and do you think do you think some of that behaving in front of others is subconscious because of conditioning we've had all our lives i mean sometimes i think it's it's necessary but yeah absolutely you know you learn it very early on as as a kid you know like you're in a store you're not supposed to run and kick your brother and shout so you behave differently in a store than you do at home um if you hurt yourself and you want more attention as a kid you roll around on the floor and say it really hurts and then if your parents are not in the room then you jump up and run around to where they yeah. are and roll around on the floor like you're learning this impression management i think really early on and you know sometimes it's i think it's a key skill it's a key skill that everybody has um but it also has its has its drawbacks tommy where do you see yourself in relation to this sketch front stage backstage it's it's fascinating isn't it there's so many different examples so um i've for example, I'm I'm quite I'm relatively shy. I'm relatively introvert at times, but because I'm an inventor, I'm this apprentice person. I want it when I go to events. I am really like loud in terms of my clothing. So I'll wear a top hat. I'll wear shiny, as you talked about, the LED shoes. I'll wear kind of big stuff to be kind of really sort of different, attention seeking. Like I, I've. I've to an event where it's just like casual dress. I've turned up fully black tie, white tie, you know, full tails and all and all the works just to try and make sure I will look different to kind of meet my kind of he's in a quirky inventor kind of thing. But I'm not generally really a particularly attention seeking type person. I don't think, but I feel that that's important for my personal brand. So I really do. it, And I do really enjoy it, though. I had an experience very similar to the sketch very recently. January this year, so in, in the winter this year, I was in the Alps doing a bit of skiing, and I went for a lunch um, in one of the like the huts up the mountain, and um, it was lovely. It was a really nice, really lovely lunch, and the service was good. But there was that. It, it wasn't a particularly posh restaurant at all, but but there was that kind of customer and waiter server relationship going on, where there there is a level of kind of duty and. Uh, a level of subservience of the waiter to you in it is it is yeah. that that is what that that those are those roles that we play and um our waiter was lovely he was a nice guy and we interacted at a very kind of polite kind of not formal but you know semi-formal we're in a restaurant type um type manner and then we skied down from there got a lift up skied a bit more got on another lift and just ended up chatting to a guy who was next to us with his snowboard and he has his goggles and hat on and everything i was just chatting to him i said oh you've just been for lunch at this restaurant down there and he goes oh yeah i work there i said oh yeah um well we were there just just now you you just come off duty so yeah yeah yeah. i was serving upstairs so we were upstairs turns out he was serving us (laughs) and so now i was having a chat with the same guy with the waiter but now i'm on a ski lift and it was a very different chat it's like the language yeah. is slightly different. Oh, it was a bit more sweary and a bit more kind of casual and fun. Um, yeah. And it just kind of, it really opened my eyes to this and the roles that we play in these different environments. I mean, it was the same guy. We It was the same day. We're pretty much in the same clothes. It's just, we were in a different environment. Same that was place. It. Just, oh, yeah. yeah. 
environments have so much power don't they in terms of how they make us feel and and that that's a huge i'm not i'm not sure that environments comes into this but uh they're, they're incredible it's, it's environment and and scenario right that's i guess that's yeah. in my mind what defines how we behave a lot of the time in relation to this front stage backstage yeah i think if like if you run a nightclub your job <laughs> is to create a totally different environment where people can be a different person than they are at home and they are at work or they are with their parents, right? You can do completely different things at 2 a.m. On, on a dance floor than <laughs> you can anywhere else. Really dumb example. I remember as a student coming back, coming back. Here we late go. At night. Can't wait for this. Yeah, yeah. Um, we. We just saw a, saw a shopping trolley and we we're like, okay, brilliant. We'll take the trolley home. And somebody got in the trolley and pushing it around. And that was really fun in that in that environment. And then the next day you wake up and you've got a shopping trolley in the front garden. And uh, <laughs> is that all to do with the environment or were there maybe other, <laughs> other factors at play? Well, you know, it's, it's things you wouldn't do any other, any other place. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it enables you to like... Let, let your let your hair down and then all of a sudden the rest of your your, your front stage life and all the rest of, um, oh yeah oh yeah so having yeah. so having the shopping trolley in the front garden was a uh a reminder of your backstage when actually i'm in front stage mode now yeah, yeah. walking out the house in the morning going to lectures maybe going well, to I'll, I'll tell you what and i remember i remember <laughs> wheeling that shopping trolley back in broad daylight <laughs> back to the, the supermarket car park and it was a very different feeling i can a, tell you it was a clash of the two <laughs> yeah when uh, backstage became front stage i mean tommy tommy you talk about the apprentice um and i think it's the same it's the same with the telework i do it's the same with yeah. any kind of media yeah. interaction i think where what you're doing what you're saying is going to be viewed publicly it feels that there there's there is it's an element of performance um, I think, and so I know. I know with my telework when the red light comes on the camera, you know, I, there's just an extra ten percent of energy and enthusiasm that comes to me, and it's not, it's not being disingenuous. I don't think at all. It is still me, but I've just kind of turned it up to eleven a little bit rather than just being on ten. That's that. That's how it yes. is. But that that is very much the the front stage. Yeah, and and we've mentioned QVC uh, where I go along and I'm there and I'm present and I'm preparing and I'm a mess because I don't and then I get ready for the six minutes and it's all shh, and then it's highly focused six minutes of demonstration and I look you know everything looks great and then it's over and then you're just sort of chucking everything back in a bag and sort of wheeling it out you know it's just that <laughs> that six minutes of sort of perfection and, and I think I'm um, going to the the TV the apprentice thing it was incredibly powerful how they um, kind of controlled us and got us to do stuff by the environment that we were in. Like we had to wear suits and ties the whole time. So you kind of feel stiff uh, sort of thing. And those, and those boardrooms, you know, they were brilliantly kind of laid out. Uh, and as soon as you walked in there, there was no kind of messing around in that room even though it was a studio, you just felt like, oh, wow, this is like really serious. And none of the crew would talk and none of that. So they just made you feel like this is really serious place. It's, it's interesting, that example of yeah, like dressing up in a suit. I mean, I've rarely seen more uncomfortable people than in interviews. Mm. And, and, and that's where yes. you, you go in and you, you know, you play the good future employee and you dress up in the suit when you never wear a suit. 
and and you might be feeling really uncomfortable i remember um i remember an interview i didn't get and i i was like you read this advice you can never overdress for an interview and turns out you can i, mean, I turned up in a, in a suit which i you know was never normally wear and it never didn't fit me properly either and so i felt really out of place and the t- guy turns up super casual he's in shorts and t-shirt and i just i just felt like i judged it all wrong was that like for it, the life the lifeguard job at the local pool <laughs> yes but it's funny i mean i was there i was doing this is what you're supposed to do in an interview i'm going to play that and uh, got it all wrong in that case. It's, it's it's true. You know, I'd love to wear shorts on telly a lot more than I do, but it's, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a norm that you don't for no reason. I mean, and if it's really really hot, then you do, and I have done, and I'm so much more comfortable. But I, I'm quite happy wearing shorts a lot of the year. Not quite as much as the year as postmen do, but somewhere in between. Yeah. Well, we we have a very good good friend, right, who always used to get suited and booted for exams for no reason because he was like Benji yeah he would always get fully suited and booted and uh, by the finals like with a full beard because he was like if you if you respect the exam the exam will like, respect you yeah that but, his life, but he did that it? instead of revising <laughs> I know, he spent his whole time cleaning his shoes and getting himself ready growing, I'm going to grow in beard instead of revise and then the exam will respect then, me the- <laughs> <laughs> that's not strictly true you did very well um i, I think it's um, like it's very tiring don't you think being like front stage all the time being on yeah yeah being on like being like being on qvc there or you're filming and you've got that extra energy or you're at an interview and you come back and you go your own backstage and you're like <sighs> do you know what yeah. that is that is exactly yeah. how it feels sometimes and i'm not moaning at all because i love my job and i love what i do but you know <laughs> but- on the face of it, on the face of it, I'm going to cool places and speaking to really interesting people and learning loads of interesting stuff. She's like, well, come on, mate, that's you're having a laugh, aren't you? But actually, it is quite tiring being on the whole time. You're right, performance. And even when the camera's not rolling as well, there's, you know, I'm on a lot because I'm around other people and I want to get to know those people. Being and nice. You just want to, you want to make, you want to make other people feel comfortable in your presence as well, and the presence of a crew having cameras and everything there. So, I think kind of upping it, giving that extra ten percent is is part of that. And I'm not complaining at all. I enjoy it. I love it. But when you get back to the hotel at the end of the night, it is kind of, oh yeah, I'm a bit, a bit knackered here. Do you know what I was? I was thinking about your your filming and the shows I've watched that you've been in. And I was thinking my favorite moments in those, I think, are where you're less front stage. Like something happens mm. that is surprising or unusual. Like, uh, I don't know, you're on the submarine and like there was a genuine alarm and you're just responding. It's almost like your your front stage has gone and you just get backstage rob and... And I, I always, I always think I, that's where, who knows what that's where you happen. connect most with yeah. with you as a presenter. I, w- I always think. Well, I don't thank know how it feels you. To you. you no, know, but... it does because they're, they're the bits I enjoy the most. And um, I find when you're allowed to speak to the camera in a more informal way, when that's the style of what you're doing and the documentary you're making, that's when I'm enjoying it the most because that isn't that extra ten percent the whole time. It it can be a lot more backstage that's the stuff i enjoy filming the most for sure so thank you yeah. for saying that john yeah i mean in a way I, th- I sort of think like the the people who do the the very best on something on tv let's say 
maybe someone like someone like Attenborough, where they're it it is scripted, yeah. but they it looks like you're getting their genuine yeah. self, and you see the 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 joy in in them, and you feel like you're just getting them. Yeah, it's it's not front stage at all. Um, but somehow, like we need all of our lives to build up that confidence in a way, just to be fully ourselves. Absolutely, it is it is it is a confidence thing to do that. Um, there there are a number of presenters who I really really admire who do that really well. I mean, uh, Chappers on Five Live is great. Uh, Colin Murray, I think, is a fantastic broadcaster in just the way they are, and you, and you just get the feeling that they'd be absolutely the same if you were to yeah. be in a pub with them, just the two of you. Is that an an Anton Deck? Yeah, as well? probably is. It feels like they're very very like they're I think just it them. is. Yeah. Absolutely, and which which is why they're so successful, and why they're so loved, and why they do such yeah. a great job. I wonder if you're similar. So I I would call it like my chameleon type approach to stuff, where if somebody's talking in a certain way, I end up matching it. So I, I remember I was interviewing this chap once. I think he's he was nicknamed Doctor Death. So he was um, he was an academic expert in all things death and rituals and stuff. And I was interviewing him in some catacombs at, in Norwood where you've got coffins on shelves. So you're down there and you're talking about death and what it was like in the Victorian age and all this kind of stuff. And he was, he was quite elaborate and he had big eyes and talking about me like that and using descriptive kind of embellished language. And I ended up doing the same thing back at him. And you kind of catch yourself and go, what are you doing? I don't talk like this. Why, why, why are you doing this? It's just very catchy. Do you, I think do you it's probably a find skill. Doing that, I, th- I think. I think that's a skill. Like, um, you know, there's a little bit of like when in Rome, do more or less as the Romans are doing. Mm. Because you know, I've spent a lot of time in various countries, and you know, if you want to stick out like a sore thumb, go ahead and do what you do normally. But if you if you match it a little bit, like if uh, if you're in the US, I find I can't help it. My 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 accent changes a bit. Oh Cause yeah, because I'm. Cause I'm, I'm yeah. I, Remember yeah. when we when we came over <laughs> to visit you, we were like taking the piss out. You going, Jono, what what's happening? You're like, well, the thing is, I could talk like we talk, but then people just don't understand me, and it's actually really irritating. I want water, and people just look at me, going, what What is water? water and yeah just well it's a tuna, I, I had tuna. Um, my uh voicemail for my phone i remember and whenever somebody from the uk would call me all the messages started off with just them laughing going what <laughs> what are you like what are you doing yeah but uh, no i think that the chameleon self is quite is quite interesting um i, th- I think probably is one of my strengths in life being able to do it a little bit is is yeah. being able to be like you asked about like you know early education a while ago, like be able to be in a in a maths tournament and be able to play on the football team in the dressing room, right? Like they're completely different environments, completely different people, and and it is hard if you are totally opposite to everybody in the room. So I think that you you naturally sort of adapt a little bit your style. Is that empathy? Is there is there an element of empathy that's involved in that? Empathy and mirroring. I think Rob, one of the one of your special skills is, and why you're so good at interviewing people and putting people at ease, and they want to talk to you, is because you're very good at unknowingly, subtly, subtly mirroring them and making them feel at ease, and then they they want to talk to you. It's just, uh... it's. I mean, it's kind of part of the job, but it's it's kind of what I enjoy doing. It's how I like to be, I guess, and I think it's the same with both of you as well. God, okay, pats on backs all round. Well done, everybody. <laughs> so we're bloody good. So we've been talking a lot there about uh, front stage behaviour. 
But can you think of examples of times when you're completely happy being backstage, where I think I'm going to call it kind of really letting your guard down and, and being very happy with that, or, or, or scenarios that will that you feel enabled to do that, let that guard down? For me, it's mostly the people you're people you're with, right? The people you feel most comfortable with, where you really feel you can be yourself. Like when you find your people, like you're not having to pretend anymore, and you don't have. It's not. It's not tiring. You're not putting up a front. You're not mm. like you know. Some it's yeah, it's interesting. Isn't it? Like people come and visit, you might tidy up and stuff. But if they stay for a few months, you're just you, <laughs> and and that. Yeah, that extra effort goes away. So I, I don't know. I feel I feel like it's it depends on it's just being with your your very best friends where you feel like you can just relax and be you. And it's a lovely way to think of it like that. I think that you think, and we're talking about it within the context of of this particular sketch. But I, I was thinking about this as well, John. It's, it's the relationships you have with, you know, your partner, your friends, your family, or members of your family, perhaps um where yeah you can just be you and when you actually sit and think about it for a minute you realize god that is really really lovely that is really special isn't it yeah it's very nice I, i'm really fortunate that a, a very large number of people fortunately saw me on a tv program for 12 weeks and i was not quite me but i was trying to be as relatively me as possible and so uh, when people meet me they they have a little bit of an idea in their mind what I'm possibly like, and luckily it tends to be relatively accurate. So it's I'm really, really fortunate meeting people that that, that often happens, and it's a real blessing. Well, you are, you are often talked about within um, the context of The Apprentice, Tommy, as being the nice guy and being the exception to the rule that nice guys don't win. Yes, but if I was if I'd been on the Bake Off where everyone's really nice, I probably would have been the nasty guy. <laughs> yeah. Turning someone's half and off. <laughs> I was I was thinking though, it can sometimes still be tricky though to be be completely relaxed. All of us perhaps pl- play a little bit of those roles at different stages in our lives, even with the people that we love the most and spend the most time with. Yeah, uh, this is a brilliant fact, and you can also influence this in the fact that so um, my sister. Um, who's a founder of this company, Mind Over Tech, she has three alarms that go off during the day that help her to be the person she wants to be. So like at 9 a.m., one goes off saying, you're like, you're a business champion. You're like, it's it's all along those lines. And then she is like business Harry and she's all over that work. And then at like three o'clock, she has one that says, I'm in mum mode now. And so, because that's when she gets ready to go and pick up the kids and she's then like, puts her phone down, work down, and she's then like, super mum, you know, like trying to be like the best mum that she could possibly be. And then I think at 7pm she has one, which is like friendship Harry or something where she tries to always call her friend of an evening. And then she tries to be like the best friend that she could possibly be. And so she's got these alarms to try and trigger her to be the person she really wants to be during the day, but at different times. That's really interesting. That fits with everything we've been talking about. So she is who she is, and and, and Harry is is all of those things. But when yes. those alarms go off, that's her cue to perform with an extra ten percent on that particular area, on that particular one, because they're not necessarily ideal together. Like being the best business person and the best mum is is kind of tricky potentially mm. at the same time. Can so be complex, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a really really. She told me about it recently. It's like. That's a really great idea. It's a really smart, smart thing to do. Yeah. It's like having a Superman shirt underneath your, underneath your business, business <laughs> outfit. Yeah. I like that, actually. Yeah. I was thinking about um, examples where 
people's. I'm sure it's got a name, Johnny. If you could do a explanation about it, <laughs> just let me know. Well, I was thinking of examples where people's um, backstage come through a bit, and in fact, you do it deliberately. Like in in London, you see people dressed up in the suits, but they've got like, these really super colourful socks. Yes, you know that that kind of thing. Or you have a you have a you have a tattoo, but it's in a place which is just covered up. Or you have a, a um, I used to have like a little dolphin necklace, um, which you can like tuck oh, tuck yeah. away under the shirts. You know, so most of the time it's not there, but it could be there if you, if you wanted it to it be. It could be. <laughs> yeah. What's that? Not, I don't think no, is it's it? not there now. Ah, oh, shame. Good point. Uh, but with with that, there's also this um, what social norms dictate. So, you know, if you if you're listening to something funny on the tube on public transport, on the bus, wherever you might be. Maybe this podcast, who knows? And you find it funny and you laugh out loud. It's kind of like, oh, we better not laugh out loud too much. Or the, kind of the opposite of that, crying in public because you're really upset. It's kind of this, this display of emotions in, in public can sometimes thwart a social norm. And so you might kind of suppress that and be a bit more front stage rather than what's really inside you, which is backstage. Like, God, I really need to let this out. Yeah, I don't weird example of that. I actually read um, Scott's diaries of Captain Scott the Antarctic wow. and uh, <clears throat> you know the, the, the full sort of un, unabridged and it is it's a remarkable story about you know and you're literally reading each day's entry as they march towards running out of food and freezing to death and you know and I read the last bit uh, when they're all just like you know lying down and giving up essentially as as I was pulling up to my station to go to work and and i you know you felt a little tear tear in the eye you know tearing up a bit wow. and you're like this is mm. weird i'm here with everybody else just on their on their commute it's yeah. a packed train and you're in this uh, this other world yeah very strange yeah you're like i don't i don't feel quite <laughs> quite comfortable to to go full on here um, I don't think we can not talk about the coronation mm. that was this weekend in relationship to this, which is just this, what is it, seven or a thousand year old ceremony and everything had to be done when it was done. And I think maybe there's a little bit of a fascination amongst all of us as to what Camilla and Charles and the family were like when they went back off the stage and they went yes. into their house. What were they What were they really talking about? What was the sort of gossip inside? And, and, and it is maybe part of that like our fascination with the royal family is to because they are always when we see them absolutely front stage aren't they yeah, yeah. It's, it's, almost gosh. don't even say anything it's like the ultimate like, front stage thing isn't it yeah yeah and it almost i i I'm under, i totally understand why there wasn't but i was so surprised that charles didn't sort of say thank you at any point to anyone like thanks thanks everyone for coming wasn't it a lovely day do you know, <laughs> do you know what i mean <laughs> because <laughs> a lot of people have been out of the rate, but all they do is the, the front stage kind of waving. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think right. he spent the whole day behaving as he was supposed to behave, right? Not yes. behaving as he would normally behave, you know. And There's the, there's the odd glimpse, like when um, the Archbishop of Canterbury was putting the crown on his head and you know, a good old twist, and Charles <laughs> gave him a bit of a kind of, mate, what are you doing? <laughs> it is attached. <laughs> I thought I thought about that with um, oh young young George who had a, a little a part you know yeah a, a potential he was future king his expressions um, well yeah and the kids the kids don't don't care so much but you know he's going to have a life of behaving like a king 
that is yes. always mm. front stage. How do you behave? I, well, you're not going to yeah. run around and kick your brother because you've got to behave, behave like a king. <laughs> this this example is absolutely <laughs> ingrained in your your poor younger brother, Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> the upbringing he must have had. No, but you're, you're right. Like maybe. And it, well, is there something there about kind of kids and backstage because they haven't learnt those social norms yet and those yeah. expectancies upon us all? It's quite nice that. Yeah, he's got it coming to him, though, hasn't he? But then, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, life. Louis does apparently. Young Prince Louis's got a coming to from George, according to your, uh, <laughs> according to your mantra, Jono. I can't kick him in public, not in front <laughs> stage. <laughs> but then, talking about kids and their kind of liberty to act a bit more backstage, what would life be like if everybody did behave along the backstage way all the time? Much more relaxed. <laughs> Much more relaxed, possibly more fun, probably quite annoying. It's a good point. You go to the fancy French restaurant where the sketch starts for that experience, right? And if everybody was sat there and sweatpants and flip flops, it wouldn't it wouldn't be the same, right? Yeah. On the subject of kids, one of the things I love most about being a parent is that you can be really childish with them and it's fine. Like, especially if like you go to a wedding or you go to a really posh thing yeah. and they're like, and you can just like sneak off with them to the back and do like really childish stuff. And it, yeah, it's fine. It's acceptable. Whereas yeah. you, you shouldn't. <laughs> is that, is that you being front stage within the scenario uh, because you're with kids or is it backstage oh. and your shackles are off and you can be more you? Oh, that's a good question. Which is, which is the real me, us. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, as I suspected, boys, we had a lot to talk about, and we could probably chat about this for ages and ages and ages. But um, I'm going to bring that to a close. Any any other business? No. Good. Well, listen, we love hearing from you guys, so feel free to let us know any of your thoughts on any of the topics we've covered so far in the series. You can email us hello at sketchplanations.com, or you can just leave us a message on social media. And, you know, you can you can also tell us any of Jono's sketches that you'd like us to cover in the future. We're very much open to that. Um, we're going to be going through some of your correspondence from last week in just a minute at the very end of this podcast. For now, though, it's time to bring down the curtain on this performance. At last, we can truly be ourselves. I can see Tommy there about to light up a ciggy. <laughs> Jono's got two episodes of Judge Judy ready to go before bed. <laughs> And I've got my favourite track on Justin Bieber's Journals album, All Primed. Thank you very much for listening. Next week, we've opted for a bumper pack quickfire episode where we'll cover as many sketches as we can along the theme of those we've found most surprising. Until then, stay well, go well. Cheers. See you next time. Bye-bye. Right then, chaps. I tell you what, let's, let's keep it uh, short and sweet this week because um, that episode has gone on a tad. So we've had, um, what was it? What were we talking about last week? Uh, the accountability ladder. Uh, ben Knowles on LinkedIn has left a message saying, great empowerment episode. That's nice. That's good to know, isn't it? Yeah. Getting yeah. to the, uh, the power side of the accountability ladder. Absolutely. I mean, that fills me with joy, that because that's, what I get out of a lot of the chats that we have is empowerment to think about things differently and to try and um, affect, with an A, affect my behaviour yes. um, in, in certain situations because I'm more conscious of it because we've chatted about it. And I think the accountability ladder was a, a great example of that. So it's lovely to know that 
other people feel the same way as well. Yeah. Thank um, you, Ben. And also, I've had uh, a message from an anonymous listener, again, about the, the accountability ladder. And they say, the accountability ladder made me think about my attitude to the difficult feedback I've had in my new role at work and how I could have dealt and can deal with that differently. Um, goes on to say, it doesn't mean having to agree with it all, but it does mean accepting it and making changes to those things that you are willing to change without impacting your own ethics. I mean, that sounds, that sounds very sensible to me. The message goes on. One example of this relates to my communication style. Basically, I can cut a lot of the chat and niceties out and be more direct. And that's okay. I can do that. So, and I say, thanks for the jump start. Yeah, that's nice. Again, that's, I guess that's a very specific example of um, maybe just assessing, maybe a bit more perspective, having having the framework of the accountability ladder giving you a bit more perspective on, on self, which is, we talked about quite difficult we, to do. We, the time. we talked about um, metaphors right at the beginning. I often think of like feedback as a gift and it's up to you to choose how you deal with it. And so and difficult feedback doesn't, doesn't always feel like a gift for sure. And you might not, not be ready for it or like not respond to it well, but actually it's up to you to, to see what, good there is in it that you can use to change your behavior if you want to and you can you know it's easy to sort of reject feedback as not valid or not not appropriate for you or 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 whatever but actually you if you frame it as feedback is a gift then you can be like okay well if i accept that what can i what can i take from it what can i do to to own it and and move forward so i think it's a really positive attitude yeah that's great great and um, do keep your messages coming in we, we absolutely love hearing about those and, and hearing about your examples that's us for this week so i will sign off thanks very much for listening and we'll be back next week until then stay well and go well cheers bye-bye cheers everyone bye-bye Music on this podcast series is sourced from the very talented Frank Cinelli. And you can find loads more tracks at frankcinelli.com.